In February of this year, 2013, I was invited to be the speaker at a Bible conference held by Church of the Redeemer in Mesa, Arizona. The topic for the weekend was Theistic Evolution, a Sinful Compromise. During the conference, I gave a series of four lectures. There was far more material than I could deal with in just four lectures. Since then, I've expanded these initial four lectures into a total of 14 messages of which you are listening to one of these. I encourage those who are listening to these messages to visit my publishing website at triumphantpublications.com and you can read for free a written version based on all of these 14 messages. These messages are being also compiled into a book titled Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise. This book will soon be available by mid-June of this year, 2013. On my website, you can be guided as to how to purchase a hard copy when available. But if you don't want to purchase a hard version, then you can read the transcript of the book for free by simply going to my website and clicking on the appropriate box titled Theistic Evolution, a Sinful Compromise Transcript. Also on my publishing website, I have listed links to all the audio messages found on Sermon Audio under this general topic, Theistic Evolution of Sinful Compromise. May the Lord bless you as you listen and or read about this very dangerous view that is gaining ground, unfortunately, among certain churches and institutions. In this particular message titled, Charles Darwin's Descent into Apostasy, I will be dealing with the life of Charles Darwin and how uh, what he confessed at one point early in his life, but eventually it did lead into outright apostasy. Actually, the life of, and the study of Charles Darwin is a classic example of someone who initially had some kind of external religious conviction that had no root whatsoever in true faith. His life is a great example to a limited degree of the seed that fell on rocky soil in Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed. In one sense, there was a limited amount of joy, but because there was no root, as Jesus says, he believed for a while and in time of temptation fell away. Also, Darwin's life is one tragic past example of the truth of Romans 1, verses 18-25, as I will later demonstrate. His life is one tragic downward spiral into the pit of unbelief and rebellion against God. His life is a tragic case study of apostasy. He was baptized in the Church of England, but steeped in his mother's Unitarianism. In fact, years later, he married Emma Wedgwood, a devout Unitarian. And they would have ten children, of which one daughter died, and her death totally devastated Charles furthering his slide into apostasy. Regarding his early days of religious enthusiasm, Darwin said in his autobiography, quote, I often had to run very quickly to be on time, and from being a fleet runner was generally successful, but when in doubt, I prayed earnestly to God to help me, and I will well remember that I attributed my success to the prayers and not to my quick running. And I marveled how generally I was aided. End of quote. Later on, he pursued medical studies, but then dropped out after two years in Edinburgh. 
His father urged him to consider being an Anglican clergyman. Darwin wasn't sure if he could accept all in the Church of England's 39 articles. However, he once wrote, quote, I like the thought of being a country clergyman. Accordingly, I read with care Pearson on the Creed and a few other books on divinity. And I did not then in the least doubt the strict and literal truth of every word in the Bible. I soon persuaded myself that our creed must be fully accepted in the quote. During his three years of theological studies at Christ College in Cambridge, he was greatly impressed with William Paley's book titled Evidences of Christianity in His Natural Theology, which argues for the existence of God from design. Darwin recalled in his autobiography, he said, quote, I could have written out the whole of the evidences with perfect correctness, but not, of course, in the clear language of Paley, and I do not think I hardly ever admired a book more than Paley's Natural Theology. I could almost formally have said it by heart, in the quote. Darwin said that he never fully had given up the desire for the ministry, but that it died a natural death. He was going to Cambridge with the intention of becoming a clergyman. In March 1829, he had doubts about his call to the ministry. His interest in becoming a clergyman gradually faded away at his, as his interest in natural science grew and unbelief gradually crept in. Upon leaving Cambridge, he joined the HMS Beagle government ship as an unpaid naturalist at the age of 22. The Beagle embarked on a five-year journey to the islands of the South Pacific. His official position was that of gentleman companion to the captain, who was a deeply religious man who regularly read the Bible and who conducted divine services, which were compulsory for all on board. Darwin said, quote, While on board the Beagle, I was quite orthodox, and I remember being heartily laughed at by several of the officers, though themselves orthodox, for quoting the Bible as an unanswerable authority on some point of morality. I suppose it was the novelty of the argument that amused them. End of quote. Well, when did he begin the downward spiral eventually to apostasy? Note this carefully. The slide into apostasy for Darwin began when he questioned the truth of the first chapters of Genesis. Let that fact sink in well. The moment one doubts part of God's word, and note where the doubts came from, the opening chapters of Genesis. Concerning this, Darwin said, quote, But I gradually came by this time, 1836 to 1839, to see that the Old Testament was no more to be trusted than the sacred books of the Hindus. What about miracles? Further reflecting the clearest evidence would be requisite to make any sane Man believe in miracles by which Christianity is supported. That the more we know of the fixed laws of nature, the more incredible do miracles become. That the Gospels cannot be proved to have been written simultaneously with the events 
I gradually came to disbelieving Christianity as divine revelation. But I was unwilling to give up my belief, but I found it more and more difficult with free scope given to my imagination to invent evidence which would suffice to convince me. Thus, disbelief crept over me at a very slow rate, but was at last complete. The rate was so slow that I felt no distress. End of quote. It is evident that Darwin had lost his faith in Christianity and the miraculous before he formulated his hypothesis of evolution. This did not say he had no evolutionary ideas before this, but he still lost his faith in creation before he set out to discover how life and its variant forms would originate by the working of natural laws. Evolution came in with great force to fill the void left by the loss of his faith in God the Creator. His unwillingness to accept the Bible's authority was greatly influenced when he began reading Charles Lyell's Principles of Geology book. The second volume, published after the Beagle left England, was sent to him in Montevideo. Lyell believed that science needed to be free from Moses. He contended in April 1829 of the necessity of driving certain men out of the Mosaic record. On June 14, 1830, he said that they see at last the mischief and scandal brought on them by Mosaic systems. The Mosaic deluge has been an incubus to the science of geology, so he claimed on August 29, 1831. In a letter to his father, February 7, 1829, Lyell expressed his antagonism to the idea of a simultaneous creation of various species. Part of the thesis of Lyell's book was that it subtly ridiculed recent creation in favor of an old earth. It denied that Noah's flood was worldwide, and it denied divine judgment. Does that sound familiar to what is presently going on in some of our churches and institutions today? What was Lyell presupposing as the basis of his worldview? Anything but the Bible. Darwin recognized his great indebtedness to Charles Lyell, for Lyell was the recognized head of uniformitarianism. This is the doctrine that present-day processes, acting at similar rates as they are observed today, account for the change evident in the universe and that this rate has not been significantly altered in the past. Lyell's uniformitarianism would eventually provide Darwin with the vast time frame of the geological ages needed to make natural selection as the mechanism of evolution. Darwin sent to Lyell, uh, well, he sent a letter to Lyell's secretary shortly after Lyell's death in 1875, where he paid tribute to Lyell, as the one who, quote, revolutionized geology, quote. Darwin said, and I quote, I never forget that almost everything which I have done in science I owe to the study of his great works. End of quote from Darwin. 
Also, Darwin, in a letter to Asa Gray in America, stated that an acceptance of uniformitarianism beliefs is to reject the notion of creation as unscientific. So please note the process into unbelief for Darwin. It was to doubt the historicity of Genesis, then doubt miracles, adopt an old earth view, and then accept evolutionary views. In his case, he was the one postulating them, although he was not the first. It is most noteworthy, Charles Darwin's slide into apostasy when he spoke about hell. This is what he said, quote, I can hardly see how anyone ought to wish Christianity to be true, for if so, the plain language of the text seems to show that the men who do not believe, and this would include my father, brother, and almost all my friends, will be eventually punished. And this is a damnable doctrine. End of quote. Charles Darwin's apostasy was not complete until his 40th birthday, which was in 1849. Said Darwin, quote, I never gave up Christianity until I was 40 years of age. End of quote. Darwin's biographer, James Moore, said, quote, just as his clerical career had died a slow natural death, so his faith had withered gradually. End of quote. His downward spiral into, spiral into apostasy continued in a letter to Otto Zacharias in 1877 where he said, quote, When I was on board the Beagle, I believed in the permanence of species, but, as far as I can remember, Vague doubts occasionally flitted across my mind. On my return home in the autumn of 1836, I immediately began to prepare my journal for publication, and then saw how many facts indicated the common descent of species, so that in July 1837, I opened a notebook to record any facts which might bear on the question, but I did not become convinced that species were mutable, changeable, until, I think, two or three years had elapsed, end of quote. The next great unbelieving illumination for Darwin came in October of 1838, where he wrote, quote, Fifteen months after I had begun my systematic inquiry, I happened to read for amusement Malthus on Population. And being well prepared to appreciate the struggle for existence, which everywhere goes on from long-continued observation of the habits of animals and plants, it at once struck me that under these circumstances, favorable variations would tend to be preserved and unfavorable ones destroyed. The result of this would be the formation of new species, end of quote. In a letter to Sir Charles Lyell on August 21, 1861, Darwin expressed his reluctance to think on whether or not intelligence had anything to do with origin of species. Darwin said, quote, The conclusion which I have always come to after thinking of such questions is that they are beyond the human intellect, and the less one thinks of them, the better. End of quote. In all of his intellectual wanderings, 
Darwin never did become an atheist. In 1879, he pointed out, quote, In my most extreme fluctuations, I've never been an atheist in the sense of denying the existence, existence of a god. I think that generally, and more and more as I grow older, but not always, that an agnostic would be the more accurate description of my state of mind, end of quote. In a letter written on July 12, 1870, to J.D. Hooker, Darwin said, quote, My theology is a simple muddle. I cannot look at the universe as the result of blind chance, yet I can see no evidence of the beneficent design, or indeed of design of any kind, in the details. End of quote. Well, I could have helped Darwin out there and, and tell him why his theology was a muddle. Didn't even bother to read the scripture very closely. But that's only because he was always an unbeliever. However, the suppressing of the truth and unrighteousness in Darwin's life is truly seen in his autobiography written in 1876. Darwin states in his autobiography, quote, Another source of conviction in the existence of God, connected with the reason, and not with the feeling, impresses me as having much more weight. This follows from the extreme difficulty, or rather impossibility, of conceiving this immense and wonderful universe, including man with his capacity of looking far backwards and far into futurity, as the result of blind chance or necessity. When thus reflecting, I feel compelled to look to a first cause, having an intelligent mind, in some degree analogous to that of man, and I deserve to be called a theist. This conclusion was strong in my mind about the time, as far as I can remember, when I wrote The Origin of Species, and it's since that time that it has very gradually, with many fluctuations, become weaker. But then arises the doubt, can the mind of man, which, as I fully believe, been developed from a mind as little as that possessed by the lower animals, be trusted when it draws such grand conclusions? Nevertheless, you, Huxley, have expressed my inward conviction though far more vividly and clearly than I could have done, that the universe is not the result of chance. But then with me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the conditions of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust in the convictions of the monkey's mind, if there were any convictions in such a mind? End of quote. At this point, it would be commendable for me to mention a very important Bible passage that is very pertinent. The passage is Romans 1, 18-25, which reads, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, 
so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. It was blessed forever. Amen. End of the reading of God's precious word. Now this is very important. What was happening to Darwin is what is true of every human being that has ever lived. Man is not what he thinks he is. Man is what God says he is. And man is created in God's image. And because of this, there is no true atheist in the heart of any human being. Darwin, in his heart of hearts, could not escape his humanity. He could not help but know that God's attributes are clearly seen in the universe. Therefore, he was without excuse. Darwin, like all unbelievers, suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. His mind and reason told him that God is the creator of this wonderful universe, that it is impossible for it to be here by pure chance. These are Darwin's words, remember? Despite his mind screaming out, that God is the creator who demands our submission. Darwin snuffed out this reasoning. How so? He said, how can I trust my own monkey mind to think of such grand thoughts that God is the creator? Well, Mr. Darwin, it goes both ways. Why should we trust your supposed monkey's brain to think of something as stupid and foolish as evolution. Darwin clearly saw God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, as the Bible said. It was evident within him, but then despite knowing this, Darwin did not honor God or give him thanks. Instead, Darwin said that such lofty thoughts are only the senseless ramblings of a monkey's brain. As a result, Darwin's heart was further darkened, and the spiritual downward spiral increased. In 1880, in reply to a correspondent, Darwin wrote, quote, I'm sorry to have to inform you that I do not believe in the Bible as a divine revelation, and therefore not in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, end of quote. But the question of God's existence was still on Darwin's mind during the last year of his life, 1882. One of Darwin's children said that the Duke of Argyle recorded a few words on this subject spoken by his father in the last year of his life. This quote states, In the course of the conversation, I said to Mr. Darwin, with reference to some of his own remarkable words on the fertilization of orchids, and upon the earthworms, and various other observations he made of the wonderful contrivances 
for certain purposes of nature, I said it was impossible to look at these without seeing that they were the effect and the expression of mind. I shall never forget Mr. Darwin's answer. He looked at me very hard and said, quote, Well, that often comes over me with overwhelming force. But other times, and he shook his head vaguely, adding, It seems to go away. What a tragedy of eternal consequence. Men will, to their dying day, suppress the truth to the destruction of their soul and hell forever. And despite his view of hell as being a damnable doctrine that he could not tolerate, that is exactly where he is today, gnashing his teeth against the true God who sent him there because he refused to believe in Jesus. On February 28, 1882, just two months before his death, Darwin wrote to McIntosh, stating, quote, Though no evidence worth anything has as yet, in my opinion, been advanced in favor of a living being being developed from inorganic matter, yet I cannot avoid believing the possibility that this will be approved one day in accordance with the law of continuity. End of quote. But the truth is, 150 years later, his proof is still non-existent. Darwin recognized that his theory of evolution encouraged men away from God rather than towards him. On August 8, 1860, in a letter to Thomas Huxley, he spoke of him as, quote, my good and kind agent for the propagation of the gospel, i.e., the devil's gospel, end of quote. These are Darwin's own words of his own theory spoken to his friend T.H. Huxley. Darwin fully understood that his views constituted a rebellion to a world governed by the God of the Bible. Well, at least Darwin accurately got one thing right. His worldview was indeed, and still is, the devil's gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4 states, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. End of quote from God's Word. Darwin died on April 19, 1882, at the age of 73. Over the years, speculations arose that there was a supposed return of Darwin to his former faith in God on his deathbed. The most well-known circulated story was that attributed to a Lady Hope, who claimed that she had visited Darwin in the autumn of 1881. She alleged that when she arrived, he was reading the book of Hebrews, that he became distressed when she mentioned that the Genesis account of creation, and that he asked her to come again the next day to speak on the subject of, of Jesus Christ to a gathering of servants, tenants, and neighbors in the garden summer house, which he said held about 30 people. The story first appeared in print as a 521-word article in the American Baptist Journal 
called the Watchman Examiner, and since then has been reprinted in many books, magazines, and tracts. The main problem with all these stories is that they were all denied by members of Darwin's family. Francis Darwin, Darwin's son, wrote to Thomas Huxley on February 8, 1887, that a report that Charles had renounced evolution on his deathbed was, quote, false and without any kind of foundation, end of quote. And in 1917, Francis Darwin affirmed that he had, quote, no reason whatever to believe that he, his father, ever altered his agnostic point of view, end of quote. Charles Darwin's daughter, Henrietta Litchfield, wrote on page 12 of the London Evangelical Weekly, called The Christian, dated February 23, 1922, Darwin's daughter wrote, quote, I was present at his deathbed. Lady Hope was not present during his last illness or any illness. I believe he never even saw her. But in any case, she had no influence over him in any department of thought or belief. He never recanted any of his scientific views, either then or earlier. The whole story has no foundation whatsoever. End of quote. There are other evidences that the story of Lady Hope is fiction. But wouldn't it be something if Darwin did repent and his children were involved in a massive cover-up because it would be too embarrassing? I doubt this is the case, but for the sake of Darwin's soul, it would be great because the damnable doctrine of hell, as Darwin once put it, will forever be a reality for his soul. I have maintained for years that the theory of evolution is one of the great tools of the devil to hold men in his bondage. It really is the devil's gospel, as Darwin said. How else would intelligent and even brilliant men fall prey to such foolishness? Evolution is utterly irrational. The devil's gospel, evolution as Darwin called it, attacks the true gospel. For without a historical Adam, as the Bible maintains, man is not a sinner needing a savior. Sin is totally reworked because in an evolutionary scheme, violence and death are how species survive and reproduce. And the glorious God-man has the DNA of brute beasts in him since man evolved from a hominid. Unbelieving man, men are slaves to their ungodly presuppositions, despite clear testimony to the contrary. Consider the words of Pierre Teilhard de Jardin. He was a French philosopher, having trained in paleontology and geology. He took part in both Peking Man and Piltdown Man, both later proved to be hoaxes. Piltdown Man was a deliberate falsification of the bones. Does this bother evolutionists? Not at all. Here's what Chardon still said in light of these hoaxes. He said, quote, Even if all the specific content of the evolutionary explanation of life 
were demolished. Evolution would still have to be taken as our fundamental vision. Defender of evolution must never let themselves be deflected into secondary discussions of the scientific hows and the metaphysical whys. Evolution has become the unassailable, authoritative, logical, primitive standard of truth. Evolution has long since ceased to be a, a hypothesis and become a general epistemological condition, which must henceforth be satisfied by every hypothesis. End of quote. Look, I couldn't have said it better than this evolutionist. Forget the scientific evidence. It doesn't matter. What matters are our presuppositions of rebellion against God. That is the presuppositions of evolution. What a tragedy.